Hey, good Tuesday morning or afternoon or night. What was it, Mr. Rogers? Good evening, good morning, and good night. I can't remember. That's been a long time, so that may be wrong. Uh, but I hope that you're having a good Tuesday. And thank you for joining us for Journey Through Scripture. My name is Philip Thomas, pastor of Journey here in Elgin, Texas. Uh, and we are continuing our, our, our long journey. Uh, we're, we are right now, we are journeying, journeying with Abraham and his descendants. Uh, and we are up to Jacob. Uh, and we're going to be in chapter 29. We're going to go all the way from 29 to 36. All right? So there's quite a bit that we're going to cover uh, here. I'm going to move through pretty quickly, but Genesis chapter 29 through 36. So if you want to take a moment and read through that, or may take a couple of moments and read through that, uh, you can pause and then join us. But we'll jump right into uh, uh, chapter 29. Last we saw, Jacob had deceived Isaac, his father, um, and Esau, his brother, um, and now he has the birthright. He's experienced uh, Jacob's ladder, the uh, the uh, vision that he had with God, the dream that he had about, and where God re- enforced in him uh, that, hey, the covenant that I made with Abraham is going through you. And so we see Jacob's relationship with God uh, growing. So he's fleeing because he's worried that Esau is going to kill him. Uh, and he comes to a well uh, where there's wells are involved in a lot of different things. Uh, he comes to a well uh, and he sees someone who is very lovely named Rachel. Uh, and sure enough, that is someone within the family. And yes, by today's standards, they are a little bit too close uh, in genealogy to Mary. Uh, but back then, that was a little bit different thing. And uh, so he decides and desires that he wants to marry Rachel. Uh, and this is where he meets Laban, who is uh, his mom's, Rebecca's brother. Uh, Laban is a pretty sketchy guy, sketchy from the beginning. Uh, he was kind of sketchy if you go all the way back in the way that he uh, handled Rebecca leaving to go be married to Isaac. Uh, he's sketchy throughout this, as we'll see. He's not, not a great character here, um, but uh, he welcomes in uh, Jacob, and Jacob begins the, the process of wanting to marry Rachel. And, uh, of course, Laban isn't going to give away something for nothing, and so they make a deal where Jacob will work for seven years, um, and he will be able to marry Rachel. So Jacob works for seven years, uh, uh, works for Laban uh, in the fields, works uh, handling the, the animals. And at the end of that time, he is planning on uh, marrying Rachel. It says they have a, a great feast. All the men come together. They have a great feast. Uh, and he is married to, to Rachel. He goes in, consummates the marriage, right? And then in the morning, he rolls over. And much to his surprise, it is not Rachel, it is Leah, which is Rachel's older sister. And now, not to get off on too many rabbit trails here, uh, but yeah, that, that would be a problem. And you may say, how in the world could this possibly happen, right? How, how could you be with someone that wasn't your wife? Well, remember, there's completely different culture, completely different context, some just practical things. There's no electricity. It's dark. That is a possibility. When you would have gotten married, the person would have had a veil, would have been covered, wouldn't have seen uh, her. And then say you go into a tent 
and it's completely dark. Okay, it is feasible. Uh, there's also numerous uh, Jewish commentators and uh, that have written about this um, that there's a good chance because it does specifically mention it that uh, they all gathered together and had a great feast. Guess what was probably at that feast is alcohol. Um, <laughs> there's a good chance that that played a role in this as well. Um, but for whatever reason, um, Jacob ends up being technically married to Leah. Um, and of course he is upset and Laban says, ah, oh, well, it's not our tradition to marry off a younger uh, sister before the older. So sorry, deal with it. Right. And, uh, and Jacob says, well, I want to be able to marry Rachel. I want to marry, marry her now and I will work for you another seven years. So he gets married to Rachel, uh, and works another seven years. Now you may be saying, um, one of the problems we should be having is that he's married to two women. And yes, that is a problem. And yes, the Bible does explicitly say he's married to two women. That doesn't mean the Bible endorses that. In fact, the Bible makes it pretty clear by sharing the truth of what happened, that he married two women, that that causes major problems. And you see that throughout Scripture. Scripture doesn't hide the bad things that people do. It doesn't mean that it endorses it or prescribes it. Uh, it is very clear the Bible does not prescribe marrying multiple women. Uh, but that's what happened. And that was a very common cultural thing. And by the way, it's common in certain cultures even today. So let's not get all high and mighty and think that we've completely moved past that. Um, and so now we have Jacob married to Leah and Rachel. I can't imagine any problems. It's just going to be smooth sailing. It's just more people. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Well, it starts going wrong right away. So Leah starts having children. Rachel doesn't have children. Then, so they get in this kind of war of trying to have more children. So all of a sudden you have uh, the maid for Leah, Zilpah, uh, and the, the maid for uh, Rachel is Bilhah, and they get in the mix. And so now you kind of have two wives and two concubines. Uh, Jacob is a very busy man, and he's having lots of kids. Right? So uh, we, we see all kinds of craziness going on uh, here. Um, I don't think that, that God would approve of all of this, but God is working through an imperfect group of people. And so he is going to keep his covenant. He's going to keep his promise no matter what. And, uh, and so finally, Rachel does have uh, children as well. Um, and, and so things are kind of moving along. It ends up now, uh, Rachel and Jacob now have 12 children. Uh, that's where the 12 tribes of Israel are going to come into play later. Um, but we have that. Things continue to kind of uh, go a little bit south with the relationship with Laban. I mean, can you imagine, you know, <laughs> uh, Jacob had already worked now 14 years uh, for Laban. Um, things are, are a little tense. Laban has already deceived him once. That's Laban's character. Jacob knows that. Um, they make a deal where they're kind of separating and moving a little bit further away from each other. Um, Jacob uh, says, well, I will, I will just take all of the spotted animals that are born. 
uh, which should have been the rarity, but all of a sudden it's not the rarity. So, so Jacob's uh, wealth uh, in animals and things like that begins to grow. Laban, of course, doesn't like this. It gets to the point there's enough tension where Jacob is like, okay, I've got, I need to leave. Uh, this is getting, getting too much. Um, there's an interesting little point in here that I, I think is important for us to understand. As they're about to leave, and, and Jacob's going to do it without saying goodbye, basically, um, and Laban finds out. Uh, but what Laban is kind of ticked about, interestingly, is that Rachel has actually steals some of the pagan idols that Laban and their family had. Um, you, you may say, well, what, what do you mean? What's going on? Well, remember, God is using this group of people to share the truth about a monotheistic God. This is, this is a new concept. Monotheism is that there is one God, not many gods. Right? This group of people, they grew up in a culture that had many gods. And so while Jacob has already kind of had this moment with God where he recognizes, okay, I, I've seen what God has done through my granddad Abraham, through my dad Isaac, what he's spoken to me, he, he has a relationship with God. Rachel has a relationship with God, but also kind of these other gods as well. Right? So she gathers them up. Laban wants those gods, and, uh, and he comes. They have kind of a, a conversation going here. Uh, it's kind of funny that, <laughs> that uh, Jacob kind of goes off on Laban saying, what are you doing? You're just all, everything, you know, you've, you've kept me here 14 years. You deceived me. You did all this. Now you're accusing me of stealing these pagan gods, right? Ironically, they had. <laughs> Rachel had stolen them. Uh, it's kind of, kind of funny. Uh, but they, they do have a reconciliation. Um, they uh, build a, uh, an, an altar, uh, kind of solidifying their, their relationship. Uh, Laban's going to let them go uh, peaceably. And so now Jacob and, let's see, Leah, Zilpha, Rachel, Bilpha, and then their 12 children and all their servants and all of their uh, sheep and goats are now moving back to where Isaac uh, uh, and, uh, had raised them. So back to the promised land, if you will. And uh, knowing that that is where Esau is going to be. So we have this big group going. Uh, Esau uh, kind of recognizes, they know that uh, is now prepared, knows that they're coming. Remember the last time that we saw Esau, heard from Esau, is he was very upset at what Jacob had done and was wanting to kill him. So Jacob is understandably nervous about the situation. Right? Because he knows, uh, yeah, Esau, he's a pretty good hunter. Uh, he can probably take me out. He is older brother. Um, right? so, so Jacob is preparing all this. He goes through lots of things to kind of issue an apology, right? uh, to, to, to be nice to Esau. And he ends up being in a tent by himself. And it's a very interesting and, and very, very important uh, piece of scripture In uh, chapter 32, uh, starting in verse 22, we have uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And it's it's kind of uh, God as a a messenger, as an angel, a a representative of God that uh, Jacob is wrestling with. Uh, Through that process, 
Jacob kind of subdues and he asks for a blessing um, and that God gives him that blessing. Uh, He actually says, you're no longer to be called Jacob, but Israel. It gives him a new name uh, and then he touches him on the hip and uh, Jacob or Israel now uh, will from then on walk with a limp. He will be reminded that he may have wrestled with God, but he did not win. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but interesting there, and we could get caught up in the, exactly what that what what's going on there. Um, he, Jacob says he says he called the, the name of the place now Peniel, which means uh, for I have seen God face to face, uh, and my life is preserved. Uh, so he he recognizes he had this encounter with God. But what is most important, and I want to spend just a little bit of time on this. What is most important is the name that God gave Jacob. He gave him the name Israel, which means struggle with God. That is what Israel means. So when you you hear the name, the nation of Israel, which is connected to the Jewish people, right? It means a struggle with God. Now, that's a really important thought to have because sometimes even as Christians, um, we, we may feel like we, we shouldn't struggle with God, you know, that we shouldn't doubt, that we should just accept what God has said and what he has done and that there's not a struggle there. When the, actually the opposite is true. There should be a struggle. Like we should see and look out in the world around us and see the injustice out there and question, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you allowing this to happen? There's a struggle there, right? A struggle in understanding. Because And understanding that we have limited understanding, that's where it comes from, but that it's okay to struggle because that means we're in a real relationship with him. It's a relationship that is dynamic and that is moving, right? That we struggle with God. That is different from any other religion that, you know, some We'll, we'll kind of see everything as God and that there's not really a struggle, that it may just be a real feel-good thing. But what has happened more often is, especially if we look at the, the, uh, one of the predominant religions in the world today, Islam, that actually means submit to God. Right? To me, it's a perfect example of, of the difference here. So Israel means to struggle with God. Islam means to submit to God. Those are two totally different relationships. And and it's vital for us to understand that. God is not a God who just wants us to submit blindly to him. He is inviting us into a relationship where we struggle, where we take time to get to know him and to better understand how he interacts with the world around us. Now, the danger to that is that there's a lot of people who don't want to spend that time, and so they just dismiss him. Right? But I, I am glad to struggle with my faith. In fact, if you believe something so fully that you don't struggle with it from time to time, you're deceiving yourself. And I, I would say that there's a lot of atheists who don't struggle with their, quote, faith because they're not questioning it, Right? It's okay. God wants us to question him. He was okay with us doubting. That is important. It's important for us to understand that concept. I really encourage you to think about that. And, uh, and especially the difference 
God is not a God who just wants you to submit to him because, hey, this is what I've told you to do. You just submit. Now, do we choose to submit to God? Of course. But it's, it's way different than what is portrayed even in a, the, the faith of Islam. Um, there's no really wiggle room uh, there. There's no real true relationship with God uh, where there's room for struggle. Uh, so, so we have that, and, and that really sets up. <laughs> you look at the people of Israel, and it's a constant struggle throughout history. Right? And they do struggle with God. And unfortunately, many Jews today have given up that struggle, and, and many are not uh, faithful to God anymore. They may still be Jewish, but they, are, they have chosen not to follow God. And that's not all of them, obviously, but there is this struggle, and it's okay for us to choose to engage in that struggle with God uh, as we go through life. So we see uh, Jacob in uh, chapter 33, Jacob and Esau meet. Uh, Esau actually is, is mature, and he welcomes Jacob, and it's a good reunion, which is, is good to see. Uh, you know, there's been dysfunction in this family, but hey, at least there's some positive coming too. Uh, Jacob uh, comes into uh, to Canaan. Uh, then you have this incident that is really ugly. Uh, chapter 34, uh, Dinah, who is Jacob's daughter, um, uh, the daughter of Leah, uh, she is out, and some some people from that area, from the Canaanites, uh, take her, and she's basically raped. Uh, the person who rapes her falls in love with her, apparently, uh, and then kind of kidnaps her and and wants to marry her. Now, again, remember the way that women were viewed back then was not healthy. They were just property, uh, rape was in most cultures within your people group, rape was looked down upon. But if you rape someone outside of your people group, it's like, eh, no big deal. That's warped, but that's just the way that uh, human sinfulness works, right? So, so they want to keep Rachel and they want to marry her. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> Rachel's, uh, uh, excuse me, I said Rachel, Dinah, uh, they, they want to keep Dinah. Um, but uh, Dinah's brothers, uh, Simeon and uh, Reuben, I believe, uh, they are fairly upset about this. So it's brutal what they do. They kind of have this back and forth. Um, and they, they actually promise, okay, we'll give you Dinah. And we'll give you all this other stuff. And, and, uh, and this, uh, these two guys that had raped Dinah, uh, they go and they convince the, the city because one of the conditions of this happening is that they have to be circumcised, right? Because they can't give Dinah over to people who don't believe in God. So circumcision was the sign of, that you had become part of this uh, covenant people uh, of Abraham. And so uh, the guy who rapes uh, Dinah and his household and, and all of them, they think they're going to get a big payoff from this. Because remember, uh, Jacob is very wealthy, so they think they're going to be able. This is going to benefit them, so they get circumcised, and then Dinah's brothers come in and kill them all. <laughs> they can't fight back. It's fairly brutal. Uh, it's interesting. What what you see here is there's, you know, what do we learn from this? Is that the Bible shares everything, warts and all. This is not a good circumstance. It's not good that Dinah was raped. It's 
not good in how uh, the brothers retaliated. They, they retaliated in a very normal way for the time. They retaliated over the top, right? So yes, it was horrific what happened to Dinah, and they should, somebody should have been held accountable for that. But they wiped out a whole city, right? Why would they do that? Because they knew if they retaliated, then that would cause that, the, the Canaanites to then retaliate. So they were like, well, we just need to get rid of them all. That is the cycle of violence that we get stuck in a lot as human beings. And, and it is, this is just an example of that human nature that we see. So then we, to wrap up uh, our time for today, chapter 35, uh, Jacob uh, returns uh, to Bethel, which is where he had the vision of going up and down. This is very interesting. Uh, in verse 2 of chapter 35, it says, And Jacob said to his household, And to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves, change your garments, then arise and let us go to Bethel. So remember, Bethel, this is where he first had that unbelievable encounter with God. And he kind of, there's another, this is another moment of maturity. Rachel, you know, had already stolen those little pagan gods and things like that. So there was still some connection there. Jacob kind of puts his foot down now. It says, okay, we're done with all of that. You're putting that stuff away. Purify yourself. And we are moving forward. We're going to visit the true and only God. And, and, and so we see, see them go there. The end of that, uh, we have the death of Isaac. Um, we have the, Jacob's 12 sons who are going to be the 12 tribes. Uh, the death of Isaac, the family of Esau is there in ver- chapter 36. Uh, uh, which again shows that God cares about all of these people, even though they may not be in the direct covenant line. And so we end chapter uh, 36 uh, with kind of closing out the Jacob and Esau um, uh, situation. And, uh, and now we're, we're going to begin looking at uh, Joseph and the, the son, Jacob's sons, uh, Israel's sons, and uh, I, th- I think I said uh, the death of Jacob. I meant the death of Isaac. We see the death of Isaac, Jacob's uh, father. And so now we're going to, to really see in the next, uh, uh, really to, toward, to the end of Genesis, we're going to be looking at Jacob's children and, uh, and, and how God continues to work through them. So for, next, uh, for Thursday, I encourage you to look and read 37 through 41. And we're going to be introduced to Joseph and his brothers. All right, so we'll see you on Thursday.